I'm going to do this thing. I'll explain it to you as a, as I record it. Okay. So that tells you how important it is. I want this outtake material. (laughs) So you're going to make this thing. It's kind of like a FM rock and roll station ID kind of thing where you're doing a station ID for my show and you're a rock and roller like Alice Cooper, you know, Mm -hmm. Ozzy Osbourne or whoever. Should I smoke a bowl first? Yes, please. <laughs> Let's do that together. <laughs> but Ready, mate. There you go. So it would go something like, hey, this is Michael Anderson from whatever URL you want to say. And you are listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. Get out there or something funny, you know. So whenever you're ready. Um, we're already recording, so go ahead and do take one and do as many takes as you like. What's up, everybody? It's Michael Anderson with thatandersonguy.com. You're listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. Oh, my God, watch out for that deer. <laughs> and it rhymes with veer. <laughs> that was perfect. All right, I'm going to hit stop. I'll be right back. Cool. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Steve Hafner, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This is going to be a lot of fun. I think so. That That is always my goal, just to have a good time and maybe learn something, but definitely have some laughs. So for sure, <laughs> I love the website because, you know, Steve Hafner, stevehafner.com. You got, you got lucky. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. I know. I know a lot of people who have Who'd love to, have. to figure out what to make their domain because somebody's already took their name. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, well, I couldn't be jeffsmith.com because, you know, there's a lot of famous Jeff Smiths and none of them are me. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, 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 another Jeffrey Smith smelled just like my Jeffrey Smith who's on jazz radio here. And uh, he's got a song that gets heavy uh, play, and it's called Happy. So on my radio, I literally see my name, Happy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I succeeded, and I, wow, I'm on great. the radio, and it's not me. Isn't that great? <laughs> so that's not the pop song, Happy? No. Popular a few no, years it's, an, it's an <laughs> instrumental song. Okay. Yeah, it's an instrumental jazz song by Jeffrey Smith, and uh, apparently it's happy. It's I, after I see my name and then see the song's name, then I'm I'm totally out of it. So I couldn't even tell you how the tune goes. <laughs> but if you're interested, go for, right. go check it out. Anyway, so a- as I mumble along here, let's talk a little bit about what's going on over at stevehafner.com that you're excited about today. Oh, well, I'm, you know, one of the things I like about what I do, which is professional speaking now, is I'm, I'm kind of what they call industry agnostic, meaning that, you know, what I talk about is pretty universal to human beings. Correct. <laughs> so I can speak for HR groups, I can speak to trade associations and manufacturing, textile rental groups, you name it, you know, gotcha. and, uh, and I've gotten, and I love that. I love getting to get in with a new group, find yeah. out what their problems are, what issues they're challenging, and you know, maybe some of my insights can help them with that. So that's so pretty that's, cool. You know, yeah. That, because all yeah. humans have the same brain more or less. Right. Right. <laughs> so, we have the same secret stuff going on in the background that we're normally not aware of. That's yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so yeah. I, I don't, I know this is room room beer. So we eventually have to go back in time. Yeah. But, um, I, I want to just digress proactively here because I love the topic cognitive biases and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And it came on my radar, I want to say probably maybe like the early teens, maybe 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Okay. And I think I heard 
Scott Adams talking about persuasion and hypnosis. Yep. And I went down the rabbit hole. So he uh, had this thing that he posted on his webpage called the Persuasion Reading List. And it was all these books about all the different cognitive biases. And I wasn't interested in what you're doing, which is learning and using <laughs> the tools. I was totally wanting to learn defense. <laughs> ah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you to avoid being influenced or persuaded without you. Correct. Realizing. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. One of the big books was influenced. There you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's on my shelf. And I'm sure many of those books that he mentioned you are, are on your shelf as well. Are, are, are on my shelf too. Yeah, but, yeah. 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 But he really, really opened my eyes and it made my life a lot easier. Like now mm -hmm. when I want to, um, cancel cable. I'm not afraid to make that call. Uh, I'm okay with it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Thought, <clears throat> I thought we were a little late cutting the cord, but we did it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it still happens. You know, I've been off cable TV for a long time, but like anytime you want to cancel anything now, like if you want to change internet companies because you found a better deal, they always ask you, can you tell us why you want to cancel your account? And I go, the only reason I need is I no longer choose to pay for this service. That's the only reason I'm going to provide. <laughs> and they don't have a counter for that one. They usually right. just cancel your service at that point, right? Because yeah, if you say anything else, yeah, if you say anything else, if you give them a reason like, oh, I found a better deal, they're going to try to talk you out of it. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <clears throat> so, okay. So you are Steve Hafner. And before you became this expert in um, all things cognitive biases and started telling people and doing magic tricks and having a good time, you, mm -hmm. uh, you grew up somewhere. So where did you, <laughs> where did you grow up? I did. Well, when we, when I was six years old, my dad got transferred. We had lived in Ohio and uh, got transferred here, actually, to Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. After college, uh, I moved away, but I ended up coming back here to Louisville, which is where I've lived now for, oh gosh, thirty years now, something like that. Okay. But um, but yeah, so uh, so I grew up in Louisville, um, and I, you know, I always had a very creative side or the the innate desire to express myself creatively so wow. ever since okay. i could pick up a pencil i was into creative writing i would write poems and oh, short stories cool. and songs you know that was you know kind of a weird thing for a kid but it was you know it was fun for me yeah um, and then i was also into performing on stage so i would get into plays and it's kind of funny because i was a pretty shy child but interesting getting on stage with a script, knowing what I'm going to say, it you know allowed me uh, to break out of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and express myself. You okay, know? Um, even if it was somebody else's words. I've and, heard you know, this so before, I, though. I've heard this before. I, okay, yeah, yeah. So I love performing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so so <laughs> so it's funny. You think some with those two creative side things that were my interests that were driving me creative writing and performing. Then when it came time to pick a major that I would study in college and a career, mm. I picked computer science. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But, but, you know, it was interesting because, um, you know, my parents were, so I had taken one computer programming class in high school and it was, this was burgeoning as far as something they teach in school. This was back in, uh, like 1980. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> uh so and, those and computers were pretty, Different. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1980. Yeah. Let me, I can't even, let me see here. Where was I in 1980? I have to think about that. So I was in sixth grade. I had a computer, I think, in sixth grade. I think I had a Commodore VIC 20. Ah, yeah. That was a great the computer. VIC 20. <laughs> <laughs> I had a had TI 994A. TI 994. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so were you coding anyway. on there? So, I was uh, a little bit, they little had bit. Base, basic, you know, the right. language basic. I do know, um, yep. That you could do. And there were other attachments you could buy to it right. to get more robust. Like assembler. Into, into and, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so, you know, it, it, trying to get a job in computer programming was going to be 
much easier. I'd make more money than trying to do something in the performing arts. And I did like programming. So, you know, my parents, my mom would say, look at all these ads for computer programmers in the paper. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I decided uh, that's that's what I would do. So went into computer science, got a degree, had a almost a 30 year career going down that path. And don't regret it at all. It was a great career. There were ups and downs, but, um, right. you know, but it was, it was good for me. I really, really enjoyed it. So, um, so what sorts of things, 30 years is a long time, Yeah, but I bet like IT is just so varied. Were you like a developer? Were you yeah. a little bit, are you always a developer? No. Well, I started as a developer, you know, okay. right, writing code. And then, um, I had always worked for big companies and I, found this smaller company that looked like a really good fit. I was a little nervous how stable is a company that that is that small. There were like a dozen people in it. Um, but I thought, well, I want to try, you know, th- this will be fun. This will be some, something different for me. And that I ended up having that job for longer than any other job that I had. Okay. And wow. with uh, this tiny little company. Yeah. But I got to take on more roles besides just being a, a programmer there. I, I instituted the the a QA system, so I became more broad in, in the leadership yeah. realm. I actually ended up with the vice president of performance measurement systems wow. um, at that company. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then they got bought by a big out of town company, <laughs> and that ended that. Well, I said not. I didn't like quit right away, but over time, you know, the culture changes. The, yeah, the culture changes. Um, yeah, there there were a lot of issues. I don't want to go into those, but uh, I then I ended up getting a job doing something I'd never done before, which was I was a business analyst for big insurance companies. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, they, they use the term business analyst. It was more project management, I would call it. Okay. Um, but, you know, I had made the decision earlier to go more into management front than technical. Um, actually, that was a great decision. But then I had that job and I wasn't wasn't loving it, that business analyst position. Um, but along the way, this was probably 20 years into my 30-year career, I discovered magic. It was because I was in a bookstore and just going through the clearance rack and they had a book on magic. I okay. had a couple young, my kids were young at the time. Right. And when I was a kid, I was really into magic. You know, that was sure. my, my thing. I loved it. But, I, you know, it I grew out of that phase or whatever, never didn't really think about it much until I saw this book and thought, hey, I wonder if my kids would like magic as much as me. So okay. I bought the book, <laughs> still have it, and I learned some tricks. And the kids kind of liked it. I mean, they, they seemed to enjoy it, but I really liked it. And I figured out the reason is my creative side, I got to use it, actually. I'd, to do magic, you have to write creatively because you have to create your own routines if you want to be any good <clears throat> right you know and and i was performing you know in front of people you get to right. interact with them and right, so right. so that's like wow this is great so it you know it became a hobby i joined the local magic club um did some charity events you know birthday parties for my kids and that that kind of thing and and so then i had the thought wow wonder if i could make a living doing this and you still had a job this was in 10 years oh, yeah. You still had 10 more years to practice before you. Um, <laughs> okay. Approximately. Appro- okay. Yeah. Good at subtraction. I think it was probably about seven or eight years. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> since I've rounded some numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're fine. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, so I had, you know, I had this up and I had that little voice saying, Hey, maybe you could do this as a living. You know, you know, people that do magic for a living The market here is not saturated. You know, I wonder if you could do this, you know? So, um, it was uh, something I really wanted to do. But as soon as that voice telling me to do that came up, the other voice on the other side said, are you kidding me? What are you thinking? You know, you've got a stable, high paying career. You've got a young family to support. Right. You know, grow up. You're, you're going to do magic tricks. You know, Quit screwing up. around and get back to work. Right. Right. <laughs> be, be, be an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put that little fantasy dream aside, let the other voice win, but it was still there. And as I changed jobs, you know, as I kind of described a little bit earlier, going from one place to another and doing different roles, I was 
liking my job less and less. And I right. was feeling less of a good fit for it. Um, and then I actually had a situation at the company I worked for where we thought the company was going to have to close in a year because they lost the one contract that drove their business, their entire business. It was, it was a military contract. Yeah, yeah. Is okay. That, so I thought I, when that happened, I'm like, oh, you know, everybody's like, well, we got to update our resumes. And I'm like, I know what I want to do. I want to be a magician. You know? <laughs> And the voice came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came it came back and you know, um I say so that's when, you know, a year into that job, I made the dubious decision to quit my entire career to do magic tricks. And when I say dubious decision, those weren't my words. They were my wife's words. <laughs> <laughs> been there, done actually, that. A, been there, that, done that. Yes. Actually, that's a joke I make because she was supportive, or or I wouldn't have done it. But okay, you know, good for you. You got lucky. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that's so that's what I did. Walked in my office, my boss's office, and said, "I'm quitting to become a magician." And I got. Did a lot he of, laugh? Um, <laughs> well, it was a she for one. You okay. sexist. <laughs> Sorry. Did she laugh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was surprised. She knew me pretty well. She knew I, you know, enjoyed doing magic. Um, okay. So, but her boss, the director of the um, of the department that I was in, because I thought, well, maybe he would laugh or at least think it's ridiculous or thinking I'm having a midnight midlife crisis or something. Sure. But he didn't laugh. But he smiled and he said, "You know what?" He said, "I wish I had a passion." that I could make a living at and bolt from the corporate world as well. Right. So, so that made me feel good, you know, because yeah. he, 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 it was almost like he was admiring me for doing this. And the funny thing is I, I've never been much of a risk taker. Never. That's never been part of my DNA. Right. And, uh, you know, so this was a pretty big risk, but yeah, yeah. you know, I had safeguards. It wasn't like it was an irreversible decision. I could have reversed you it at any time. Yes. You can always yeah. go back and get another job. Right. 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 So, and that's something, you know, I talk about uh, problem solving and decision making in my programs. And that's something when you're looking at alternatives for solving a problem, think about the ones that are potentially reversible. Sure. Or that you can implement at in a small scale to see if it works before, you know, going all out yeah. with it. Right. Um, and don't burn bridges. I think that's, I always quit, quit nice, you know. What, you don't have to like. I I know. I told my wife this story the other day. The my very first almost real job. It was actually my second job, but this is the job that I burnt the bridge on. Like my very last day, the boss asked me to stay like a, extra five minutes to do a little bit extra work, and I puffed up my chest and said, "No, it's my last day, and I'm I'm leaving now." <laughs> and yeah, just because wow. I was sixteen and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> But I had already quit, right? Mm-hmm. I was right. just like, why, you know, why, why an extra five minutes, you know? And and right. the guy literally right there was like, okay, just remember, you know, don't burn bridges because uh, uh, you're gonna want to get another job, and uh, and then I'll be a reference, and I'll remember this. And and I went, well, too late. I've already done. It. Yeah. <laughs> As it, as it turns out, I never tried to get a, a, a job again in my hometown. So I got lucky. <laughs> there you Af- go. After that, I never burnt a bridge. <laughs> but See, it, that's, that's good. You learned it early. I did. I did it. Yeah. At 16, I learned. So, okay. So yeah. I, I have questions because that's a huge decision right there. And right. You, you already said that you had these, you know, voices in your head. Right. One's like, ah, magic. I wonder if I could make it go. Right. And then you're like, yeah, but you've got a mortgage and you've got to pay for your kid's college and whatever else. Right. You've you've got to be a responsible adult. So how did you get over that and talk yourself into make taking the leap? Yeah, well, it it was hard. It was very hard. You know, know, if you if you have a big decision that's going to have a big impact on you and potentially other people. Right. And you don't know which way to go. That it can be painful. And I was really struggling with that because I really wanted to do this. I felt for myself to use my God-given talents. I needed to make this jump. And yeah. you know, I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would regret doing it as much as I would regret not doing it. Makes sense. You know. Yep. At least trying it. 
Right. Right. Yeah. If it all but goes was, to shit, you can always go back and get a job and say, well, yeah. that didn't work out. <laughs> At least I but gave it, it a go. <laughs> right. But it is so, so I was really struggling with this. And then one day I had driven to work. I was sitting in the parking garage and I was just sitting there and I wasn't getting out. And I was thinking about this life decision. Should I do it? Should I not do it? And there's a true story. I heard a song on the radio that I had never heard before. In fact, I've never heard it on the radio again since. It was the one and only time. And while I was sitting there in the car thinking about this, some of the lyrics to the song were, there comes a time when you have to ask yourself, where am I going? What have I done? Are you taking the orders you've been given or are you breaking the rules with your own decisions? Isn't it time you tried? <laughs> oh my great. gosh. That's it great. just hit me. It was like a tsunami of, yeah. I don't know, emotion hit me. And, you know, I started, I had tears and I'm not a crier. And I'm like, what's happening to me? You know? And, yeah. and, and really I, I can, it seems it was a sense of relief, right? Because I now knew what I wanted to do. I, I was totally on board with that message. And I knew inside I was on board with it. I just kind of, I needed a catalyst, I guess, something needed to hear from somebody else. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody that, that random song me. on the radio. Right. So right. thank that artist. Mar- yes. Mar- <laughs> thank you. Martin Sexton is his name. And the song is called Live in the Life. And I've, wow. uh, I've looked it up on YouTube since then, you know, I'm not oh, great. Where's that song that had such an effect on me? And I had to, had to look it up, you know, but yeah. So I made the decision at that point and, um, you know, told my wife I'm doing it and off we went and I started, I had a, you know, I gave a good cushion, um, a month, maybe I think I gave a month notice at okay. work and, you know, and that would give me time to start working on my business and building the website and reaching out to potential clients and that sort of thing while I still had a, it had a paycheck coming in. So uh, more questions. <laughs> uh-huh. So <clears throat> did you have, did you have the idea to do corporate gigs immediately or, or was that an afterthought or were you just going to go do just magic shows kind of thing? Well, it, it, when I went into it, I knew that was an option. Um, I mean, there's, Lots and lots of different markets that magicians can work in. and But I had to decide on one to start with. And I thought, you know, I, I may decide to expand into corporate. So I started off doing kids shows, right. preschools, okay. birthday parties, festivals, fairs, you know, right. family audiences as well. Sure. Um, I'd go into schools and do, do magic shows about um, healthy eating or respect. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, sure. Um, so, There's so your creative in. writing thing coming in. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And I had to tie it into an educational message, you sure. know, for, for the kid, for the schools to be interested in it. That's perfect practice for corporate gigs though. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kids, because they're you know, looking for that, all kinds of topics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It was, it was really, really good for me when I became a speaker to be able to make those kind of connections between content and entertainment. Right. 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 Um, so, but you know, there, there was a limit, you know, I guess a, um, an obstacle that I had, that I had not anticipated was that, well, one, um, physically it was pretty demanding because you had to do a lot of shows because kids shows the, you know, the amount you can make per show is going to be pretty small compared to corporate gigs. So you had to do a lot of them to have a decent income, right? Sure. And, um, you know, and it was pretty, it was more physically demanding than I thought, especially birthday parties, because if they ordered the deluxe show, I had all this stuff I had to carry and I had a bad knee and uh, that was starting to wear on me a little bit. And I'm like, and I'm only, you know, making $200 for this. Um, right. and I've got There's a lot of investment of, of energy on my part here for this. Right. And my, I, not so much payoff. Exactly. Yeah. And I was getting older, you know, and, and my knee condition was getting worse than that. You know, I just thought, how can I, what's the best way to increase revenue without having to increase the number of shows and wear and tear yeah. on my body that I have to do, you know, and, uh, and two things, corporate entertainment was one. Another was trade shows. 
So I don't know if you've ever been to a big trade show where a booth will have some sort of entertainment, so, something to draw people sure. in. Sure, sure. Magi- a magician booth is babes. a really, really good booth babes, right? <laughs> but magicians are still politically correct. So. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, booth but, babes do exist still, right? Am I right? I, 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 I'm not sure. I, I've always heard of booth babes. I was never big on trade shows. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so magicians are really good, a really good option, but it was a tough sell because there's a stigma about magicians and some people just automatically didn't want it associated with their brand, even though huh. it's a, That's you know, weird. even though you tie the brand into the presentation anyway. So I made a decision. I was going to go after trade shows, but here's what I did. This was key. I said, when I hit June 30th, so so six months into the year, so this, I gave myself about a year, I believe, to to do to work on this. June 30th, and I put it on my calendar. I said, if by this date I'm not making at least half of my income from trade shows, then I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm, and I'm and I'm sense. going to pivot, and I'm going to and I'm going to pivot into speaking because those were the two areas I was thinking of going to, and uh, I I hated cold calling, and that's what. To get trade shows, that's what it took. It took a lot of cold calling, and it so that's like my, you have to do ten calls to get three gigs or 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 oh, whatever way, the multiple. Way more than that. Way, way okay. more than that. Gotcha. I would be making a hundred calls a day, and you know, uh, get one. Okay. Get, yeah. Well, yeah, get one in the in a month, or you know, something. Yikes! Like and because people don't answer their phones, and, and like I said, there's a stigma with if they hadn't seen a magician work effectively in a booth they had trouble imagining it i guess yeah yeah um so anyway so the date come i didn't reach the goal that i wanted i had done a few trade shows but not nearly what i wanted to and that's when i made the pivot into speaking and here's something another thing you talked about or you mentioned corporate entertainment is that as i would prospect and i would do lead generation i'd find all these events in the region and I'd reach out to the people having the events. Well, very small percentage of those events actually have entertainment budgets. Okay. Most of them don't. Most of them don't. But they all have education bu- budgets. Right. They almost all want keynotes, and they want them to be entertaining and engaging and energizing. So they they want entertainment. They just can't call it that. Right. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So I thought, and I had thought over the years when I had considered going into speaking, I had given some, you know, ran a lot of ideas through my head on what I would, would speak on. Um, and, you know, it, it, really when you're a magician, you have to understand how the audience's mind works. Sure. At a sub, what it's doing, how I can guide it in certain directions where I want it to go without right. them realizing that I'm doing that. You know, right. so I, I had to learn about all these subconscious impulses. Because magic doesn't actually happen in the magician's hands no. or on the or on the stage. Mm. That's a technical thing that they're doing to deceive you. Right. The magic the magic happens in the audience's mind. Right. <laughs> so that's why. And I, I discovered a lot of the things that we don't really recognize um, that are going on. You know, the magicians know about and manipulate and exploit to give the perception of magic, right. but they also affect us every day and our thinking and decision-making totally. yeah, and, and yeah. problem solving. And, and if I could bring to, to light some of these things and offer some strategies on how, how to overcome them or veer around them, veer you know, around I thought, them. well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. For some reason that word just popped into my head. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how I get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I started, uh, yeah, put, put together programs. My first speaking engagement was horrible because really? it was my first speaking engagement. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I learned a lot about um, constructing a program, um, you know. Were and, you doing uh, like a keynote or more of an educational thing? Um, it was, well, it was a smaller group. It was a local chapter of an organization. Okay. Uh, it wasn't a keynote as far as a big, uh, part of a bigger conference. Mm-hmm. It was a program for a monthly meeting. So, okay. you know, when I think of keynote versus like breakout session, you right, know, right. Breakout sessions usually more detailed and a little more intimate and you get more, a little more interaction. So 
But it, it, in style, it was more of a keynote. But anyway, I wasn't happy with it, and I got the impression that, I mean, they didn't say it, but that they weren't all that happy with it either. And, you know, and rightly so. So that's, I actually backed off from speaking for a while after that. Really? And then I decided, yeah, then I decided I got to get back on this horse. I joined the National Speakers Association. Yeah, that's, that's uh, huge. Yeah. In fact, I was the president of our chapter a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so great. But you're going to learn a lot. Learn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 From, you know, from all the educational stuff that they put out, videos and conferences and stuff to just our local meetings and talking to other people that have been successful in the business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, well, you're going to so, learn, yeah. like, I think going in, you had a lot of the sort of like, how, how do you say that? Like, you knew like the content, right? Like, uh, okay, I'm going to talk about cognitive biases and I'm going to use magic. But what you needed was sort of like the speaker technique, uh, right. infrastructure scaffolding kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and it did help that I had to build my own corporate, I was in mentalism for corporate audiences. It's a branch of magic. Right. Um, and I had to, to build that out and structure it and think about the highs, emotional highs and lows and, you know, yeah. figuring out how to, so but speaking, you know, is a different thing because of all the content that you're tying into it. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I had a lot to learn and I did, and I, I'm still learning and I'm still trying to grow, still trying to you know right. become, become more of the speaker that afterwards everybody wants yeah. to bring that speaker to their company or the, you right. know, another association. I get it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it's all, I mean, it's always going to be a, a work in progress and I'm, Glad it is. I never want to become complacent. Well, know? yeah. The thing is, is I think it's uh, the idea, just that that little thing where you're going to show them a magic trick and then you're going to break this magic trick rule almost, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but you're going to try to use the magic to describe something that you want to teach them about, right? Is that? Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're almost going to give them a, the trick. Or, or at least a piece of yes. the trick. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I like. That's, that, that. that's generally a, a piece of it because I, so I, uh, typically in most of my programs, I, I use a, a rope trick as an example. And I have a member of the audience help out with it. Um, and I use that to illustrate how easy it is for us to get distracted. Right. And how, what I did as a form of misdirection to make them miss the secret move that I did right in front of their face. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So after we did the trick, I went back, I go back and I, I talk about it. And I said, here's where I had to, and I show them the secret move and that doesn't show them the secret to the whole trick. And a lot of people have said, still don't know how you did that. Even after I showed them. This. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and it's, it's a trick that's in, in the public domain. It's been out there forever. And so you're not breaking any mad magician rules or anything. Right. Right. right, right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so then I, you know, I, I go back and I talk about when, when I did this, here's why I did it. And here's what your brain was doing at the time. Right. So for example, dur during the trick, before I make, have to make the secret move and everybody's attention's on me, even though I've got somebody from the audience up with me because I'm the magician, I've, I'm holding the props. They want to make sure they don't miss anything. They want to try to catch me out. Right. Right. So at that point when I needed to make the secret move, I say to the spectator on stage, I say, oh, you know, I meant to ask, what's the biggest lie you've ever told? Right. So and everybody looks at them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> as soon as I ask that question, I'm not the most interesting thing on the stage anymore. That person is. Yes. So you but, have about two seconds <laughs> to do something yeah. secret. And all I have to, to do is basically move my thumb like that is the whole move. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so it's really easy, you know, to do it in that time frame. But, you know, so now as soon as I ask that question, that guy is the most interesting thing up there. So even though I was the most important thing in the context of the trick, I got them to switch their attention really easily. Right. And then I go into, I describe, well, why does that happen? Why are we so, is it so easy for our attention to be taken away from what's important to us? Mm. Uh, well, it's because that's how our brains are built. Right. You know. And then I get into the things that you know about with, with cognitive biases, you know, and, and all that. And our, you know, our brains, we have that part that is built for survival. All right. it cares about is safety and security, mm -hmm. you know, system one, so to speak. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it can, it, it can 
it has a big part in how we allocate our attention. You know, so even if we're con- consciously focusing on something like you and I are right now, right? If, if there was a contrast or a change in the environment, you know, there's a noise or something walked by, mm. you're going to look. You're, that part of your brain doesn't ask for your consent. It just doesn't say, <laughs> hey, should we put our attention here? Right? It just happens. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then it's your conscious brain that has to decide what to do next with your attention. Right. right. That's, but, but because our brain is always on the lookout trying to keep us safe, anything that could be potentially dangerous, that's why we're so easily distracted. And magicians know that, and that's how they use misdirection. Yeah. Have they you easily ever, distract us. Have so. you ever seen that video... I don't remember what the context was. I want to say it was on like a magic for humans, maybe that show mm-hmm. on Netflix mm-hmm. where they're, they're like, they've got like these really young, attractive people throwing a basketball around. Right. And you're totally fixated on this. What's going to happen. Right. And then, and then they, then they say, did you see the, uh, the guy in the gorilla suit? And I go, no, <laughs> And they rewind and they they go, okay, now yeah. stop watching the ball and wait for the gorilla. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy in the big gorilla suit walks through the middle of it and, you know, he does a little dance in the middle and then just walks on by. Totally missed it. I was like, oh, yeah, I love that. That I love That's, it when yeah. people point out like things I missed. Fla- f- flaws in our brains, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's. Yeah, I mean, I totally, when I first saw that one, too, I, you know, didn't see the gorilla at first. Uh, no, no. It's called attention blindness, right? And we, it's we so have all weird. kinds of blind spots. Totally. Uh, yeah. You know, and that, that's why it's so important when we're making big decisions or solving problems <clears throat> that we engage a team, even if it's just a team of you and one other person. Yeah, maybe. Because it's very difficult for us to see our own blind spots. That's, that's why we're blind spots. Yeah. Our own when we have cognitive biases, you know, that we're, we're succumbing to, um, that are, that are affecting our thinking and decision-making, it's tough for us to recognize it, but studies show you can more easily see them in other people. Yeah. That means they can more easily see them in us too. Right. And so you, you know, you can help each other through those blind spots and maybe uncover some of them if there's more than one of you. Right. Totally. Especially people from different, you know, if you have more diversity and experience and background, you know, and, and perspective, somebody that comes at things from a different angle than you do. Right. You know? So anyway, just thought I talk about that a lot too, the, the value of teamwork. So just wanted to throw that I, in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you said that, the first thing that came to mind was I took a, a course in podcasting and now I can't remember the dude's name, but he he was the guy that made Gimlet Broadcasting, but and he used to be an NPR, and I'm totally blanking on the dude's name. So I'll, I'll go look it up later, and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but anyway, um, so this guy has this class on one of those uh, online class platforms, right, where you can mm-hmm. just go and watch him, and you pay 100 bucks or whatever you pay. And he talks about podcasting for, like, you know, several hours. But in that, like, one of the maybe across more than one class that he used the audience of like 30 people. He had a studio audience where he recorded the class and they together produced like an episode of like, you know, this American life. Right. Oh. Yeah. With a woman on stage who is the subject. Right. And then, and then he was just saying, so this is how we do it. First we would do this and we try to come up with the most interesting questions that we could ask this person. Right. And we're trying to figure out what's the best story that we could tell. Right. And watching those 30 different people brainstorm on that, I was like, Oh, Oh, that's what people are talking about when they're saying like the power of the group mind kind of thing, you know, Uh it was just genius. I was like, it's so yeah, one brain's awesome. <laughs> 30 brains are, you know, 30 times better. Yeah. yeah. And here's a helpful hint when it comes to brainstorming is before you have your brainstorming session, have all the individual, you know, determine what your main problem is you're trying to solve or, right. you know, what you're looking for ideas and have everybody come up with their own list individually first before you get together as a group. Because when, sometimes when you get together in a group, especially if there's, a manager, a leader there, right? 
people turn into yes men and it becomes groupthink <laughs> and they're less less creative. Oh, you know? Yeah. And so you were you, you worked with the military, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, so that's yeah, that that helps brainstorming if each person does it on their own first and then brings their ideas to the table and no ideas are are off limits. Are bad. Right. 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 It's kind of yeah. I, I, I had uh a colonel, I th- I, right? And so full bird, and he's in the room with, it's a staff meeting, right? Uh-huh. And, he, and he, somebody bought this, uh, a sample of a, remember when the quality movement moved through the DOD and the Air Force? So there was quality, right? That, that thing that started with Deming and then went to Japan, and they tried to do that in the Air Force. So okay. somebody went out and bought a bunch of coffee cups with cues as the handle. And the colonel <laughs> lifted this cup up in the meeting and went, does anybody look at this mug? Isn't this the dumbest mug you've ever seen? What do you guys <laughs> think of this mug? And everybody was like, well, that's the dumbest mug I've ever seen. <laughs> Be- because of who's gotta, saying it. Yeah. Right. You yes. got to agree with the big guy. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the dumbest mug I've ever seen. <laughs> Unfortunate. Yes. So, Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of these. Uh, what are some of your favorite like cognitive biases that you like to teach people out of, or uh, about, or yeah, about one uh, or the other? Well, the the one that is generally or often regarded as the biggest is confirmation bias. Okay, um, you know which is the fact that we when we have a belief, we are more concerned and put more effort into being right be feeling right than we are being right and that means we look for information that will confirm our belief uh-huh, and we right. discard information that runs counter to that belief uh-huh. world right. you know we're so say you know you like a certain political party or candidate right stuff comes up on your feed if it's positive towards that positive candidate you're more likely to read it and share it or whatever and if it's not right you're likely to dismiss it as fake or false information right right so that's confirmation bias we want to we want to feel right and we hold on to our beliefs even in the face of con contrary evidence right um it's like the opposite of science right exactly <laughs> so right i don't know if you're familiar with adam grant adam grant i've heard that name yeah, he's a psychologist, uh, and he's he's written several books. And this one I read a couple of years ago when it came out. Think, Think again. again. Ooh, and it's nice. all about the power of knowing what you don't know, and you know having beliefs, but held loosely enough that you're willing to change them if other information becomes available. Right. 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 But people generally don't do that. So, so no. that's a big one. <laughs> uh, no, they don't. <laughs> right. So confirmation is big and there's a lot of like sub cognitive biases under that. But the one I teach about the most, because it's pretty ins- insidious, uh, <laughs> is status quo bias. Okay. So we, we have a tendency to prefer the status quo, not just beliefs, but so the definition is status quo is the existing state of affairs. Right. So not just right. beliefs, but also what you do and how you do it, especially the things that you've been doing for a really long time. Right, right. Right? Yes. That's the status quo. Um, and we actually have what I call an unholy allegiance to the status quo. <laughs> we well, you, I did too. I did. You did. That's why you yeah. didn't want to let go of that job. Exactly. Right? Good. Exactly. Good connection. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody quits their job to become a magician. That's crazy. That, Just, that would be silly. To, yeah. It would be irresponsible. To, <laughs> and you're supposed to stay in the same career your whole life, right? Right. Um, so, so what, you know, but that comes from that. And, and I call it the lizard brain, although I know it's not a specific brain part, but that right. functionality in your brain to try to keep, keep you safe. Um, right. Uh, all about survival because what is safer what feels safer doing what you've always done mm-hmm. that you know how to do it um you a lot of a lot of things you don't even have to think about because you've been doing it for so long or trying something new 
mm. where there may be threats that you don't think about or know about and challenges that you've never had before. That's scary to your lizard brain. It's scary so, to the whole brain, but yes. yes. <laughs> Extra scary. So, yes, yes. So we have this impulse to stay with the status quo, even when it's not the best option and other better options are available. Right. Um, you know, and if you think about think about status quo as being the incumbent. In the congressional elections in the U.S. in 2022, do you know what percentage of incumbents won their races? Take a guess if you if you don't know. As it turns out, I read that blog post on your webpage, so I think it's. <laughs> so yeah, I cheated. I, I what was it like ninety eight? It was something crazy. Yeah, ninety eight. <laughs> I had been using you know. Uh, I, I had been using the 2020 election, and the, it was 96 at that point. But in the 98 is better. 98. I mean, that's insane. insane. And the fact that there's no term limits is like what? I know. Um, it bothers but, me. Yeah. So, we, so incumbency is a huge advantage for a number of reasons. But one is people are used to it, and they want, they like the feeling of continuity. Mm. Change requires energy. Our lizard brain is about conserving energy so that right. we have it when we need it to fight or flight. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's about conserving energy and it takes a lot more energy to do something different, to look at available options, to figure out what the important criteria are, mm. you know, weigh the criteria, score, all that stuff that goes into effective decision making and problem solving, right. you know, is uh, right. you can save all that, just stick with the status quo. Oh, well, status quo is obviously not as good of an option as often as we think. Now, I am I always have to say this caveat. I'm not an uh, advocate of change for the sake of change. No, uh, no, no, no. Status quo is often the best option, you know. And right. here's the thing. It began, it earned its spot as the status quo because it worked, at least it did when you implemented it. Right. Right. right? But a lot of us have habits and at the organizational level systems and processes and procedures that we've had in place for a long time, and they did work. But over time, the environment changes. A lot, there's a lot of different variables that come into play. Right. And maybe they don't work as well. Maybe they're not as efficient or <clears throat> maybe they're not as effective at doing what right. they once did. Right, you right. Know? So I'm always recommending, number one, take a look at where the problem areas are and see if there's other potential options that could be as good. And then when you are weighing different or comparing different alternatives, including the status quo, make sure you have your list of criteria and you're going to score all of them based on that criteria. And this, this helps to remove that extra bias we have towards the status quo. Right. Right. You know, if you're, if you're making a conscious, deliberate, intentional effort yeah, to yeah. score everything on individual criteria. Yeah. Doing, just doing those scorecards, the weighting weighted scorecards, I found that Uh that's huge, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and it can give some surprising results too, especially when you weigh them, you know, because ease of use might be the most, uh, and most important criteria for getting in, buying a new system to do something, you know, counting system or whatever, or, and it may be higher than price, you know, or, You know, you have a number of criteria. Well, when you when you weigh them, you can get different results than if you just added up the scores without weighing them. Right. And sometimes people are surprised and they, you know, think, well, I thought what we were doing was a pretty good option, but apparently not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other thing you said, too, was make sure you're not doing this by yourself. I think that's huge. <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you you get you know, you have to identify people who are going to be affected by the change. Um, if you're going to change a status quo process, because people don't want to change, people are afraid right. they don't want to lose something that they have. Mm. Um, so you have to make sure that you involve somebody, at least represent a representative of all the different groups or areas that are going to be affected by it. So how, how, how much, how long did you spend working with the military? Just out of curiosity. Well, and I my direct work with the with military was limited. I mean, had some meetings, of okay. course, but I was working more within my department. And we had a subcontractor doing work for us, so I worked with them. So yeah, I wasn't yeah. working that directly with with the military, but 
I was I was in that job for a total of two years. So, okay. Yeah. So it didn't last very long. Well, no, I, because a year <clears throat> into it is when they lost the contract. Gotcha. And that's when we all had to. <laughs> right, right. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. So what? What I I uh, I was in the Air Force twenty years. Right. So I was uh-huh. very you know, in the military is is it is what it is. A lot of it's great. A lot of it is crazy. <laughs> and, be, you know, I speak from experience. But the change thing was a lot different than, like, the Department of Energy. I worked for the Department of Energy, like, after I retired a couple times. I got another job with the Department of Energy. And the, the you know, going in, I'm just thinking, well, it's just another federal agency. Right. They're all pretty much the same. Completely uh-huh. different. <laughs> you know, completely different because uh-huh. the the Department of Energy, especially where I worked, you know, sort of like the the most important people are scientists. And they have a completely different disposition than say like a pilot. (laughs) You know, pilots Mm. just pound on desks and say, make it so right. They're very Jean-Luc Picard, you know, great guys. Right. right? But when they're the universal manager and they just make a decision, they just, they cram it down everybody's throat. You know, it's like, I'm the general, do what I say. Right. Go out and buy new uniforms, whatever. Right. So a lot of that, I'm, I'm saying this because it's like, all changes top down in the military, especially in the air force. It's just like, it's being imposed on you, you know, and you're like, ah, okay, I'll change. Ow. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And you don't really have a choice. <laughs> right. right. But the DOE was completely different, you know, like mm-hmm. they just, you know, it was all just like, well, it felt weird. You know, there was no top down direction. Like changes just sort of happened because they had to. right it was like well this happened now we have to change right it was like Mm -hmm. there's this new uh threat in cybersecurity. we have to change right it was all external there was nobody in nobody in the doe you know coming down and putting their thumb on you and going you must do right it was a different corporate kind of feel anyway Sorry, interesting. I I digress. It sounds like there was a lot of reacting that has to be done to external forces in there. Yeah, yeah. All the all the changes were responses to something else that was happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like the the generals in the military just decide to be weather, you know, (laughs) and they can't because they have that Uh kind of power, you know. It's like yeah, they become the weather. It's like I see something coming, therefore go do, and they can't. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. Um, I, the, the other thing I was going to say about status quo is have you ever heard this? Like, you know how, like if you got, if you're making cornflakes every once in a while, you have to say, you know, new and improved frosted flakes. Right. And you always in your product development. Right. And everybody thinks, Oh, that's gotta be a hard job coming up with something completely new. Right. That, that status quo bias thing, I think that applies to new products too. Like mm-hmm. new music, new TV, new like art that's popular, like new products, new shoes. They change very, very little. Probably like that 2% that you were just talking about, <laughs> right? It's like right. very, very, you know, it's like you have yeah. to find, mm-hmm. make it look a little different, but mostly the same. Like the, mm-hmm. like the show Car Talk on NPR. Did you ever listen to Car Talk? <laughs> I was just talking to my <laughs> wife about it yesterday when I was telling her I just got an oil change and Click and Clack said that I could wait 5,000 miles instead of the 3,000 miles <laughs> yeah. that they told me. <laughs> what I like about Click and Clack and Car Talk, I mean, one of the, got, one of the brothers died and that's sad, so they're right. reruns now. But um, like 98% of that show was exactly the same. The only the only thing that was different was who calls, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we love it. <laughs> I, 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 I always enjoyed listening to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. Especially the the credits at the end, and they were always the same. I tried to memorize them as much as I could. <laughs> <laughs> they were the, the credits were always the same. I was thinking they changed them a little bit every. They time. would add. They were it, they were additive. How's that sound? Okay. Do do we cheat them and how? Do we cheat them and how? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> D- 
they would add like the name of the producer kept getting new um new names, new nicknames. Sweet cheeks. There you go. <laughs> well, we had no free I mean, lunch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> since we, we were talking about the military, I have this one story I wanted to tell because I think yeah, it's sure. got a good. I think it's got a good message for people. So, I had I, I was about a year into my magic career. I was doing kids and family shows mostly. Okay. And the military connection is that this is a. Well, there's two parts of this story. The first part is about Fort Knox. So I live in Louisville, which is 45 minutes away from Fort Knox, Kentucky, which everybody thinks of as that's where the gold is, right? which it, which it is, but it's also an army base. So they have schools for kids. And I had been hired to go out there and perform close-up magic for a fall festival. So I was, I love close-up magic, by the way, for kids, because you get to see when that moment of magic happens right in their eyes, that that look of delight and yeah. surprise and they laugh and yeah, it's just, it's awesome. And I was, there was a little girl about eight years old named Stacy and we were doing my favorite trick for kids is the sponge rabbits. And so there's, there's two rabbits and, and you know, one goes in one hand, the other, they change places and move around and stuff. And at the end of the trick, when the child opens their hands, all these little sponge bunnies pop out out of nowhere. Oh, wow. And so when, when I did that with Stacy and she looked at me and she got that look of, you know, delight, she was really excited. And, she, and then it turned to a look of curiosity. And she said, Steve-O, because that was my magician name, Steve-O, how did you make all those bunnies appear out of nowhere? And I said, by magic. You know, <laughs> magicians can be pretty right. By magic, of course. And then her look changed to one of hope. And she was like, can you make anything appear? And she said, can you make my daddy appear? And I said, where's your daddy? And she said, he's in Afghanistan. Can you make him appear right here, right now? Aww. Yeah, that really, I was like, you know, my smugness went away. And I'm like, you know, I, I said, I'm sorry, my, my magic's not that strong. Right. And she was, you know, she was like, well, you know, her look changed again to one of profound disappointment. She said, mm. that, you know, that's okay. I didn't really think you could. I walked away. <laughs> So uh, my 45-minute drive back to Louisville that day was, was tough because I'm like, what am I doing? I said, I didn't quit my career to disappoint children, to right. make them sad. And what am I doing anyway? I'm basically lying to kids with this magic. I'm deceiving them. And is this really what I should be doing with my life? So I, I had a lot of self-doubt, hmm. thinking maybe I ought to go back to the corporate world, wow. to a desk job. Right, you know, right. Think, uh, what do I do? So again, I had two different voices talking to me, but but I didn't give up. Two months later, I was doing table hopping magic at a restaurant. So the magician goes to, from table to okay. table and entertains people while they're waiting for food. Oh, wow. Know, okay. And and helps the time go faster and gives them a good experience. So I approached um, this table and there was a young man about nine years old and his dad. And I said, hi. I said, I'm Steve-O the magician, I said, uh, would you like to help me with some magic? And he, he was not sure, but his dad nodded, and he said, okay. And I said, well, I said, here's one of my skills as a magician. I can tell just by looking at someone the very first time just how important they are. I said, I collect autographs of important people. And I said, what's your name? He said, Thomas. I said, Thomas. I said, I could tell as soon as I saw you that you're one of the most important people I've ever met said, you've got big things ahead of you in your life. And that is exciting. I said, would it be okay if I get your autograph? And so he smiled and said, well, okay. So I said, well, here's how magicians get autographs. And I got out a deck of cards. I just showed them all normal, except for one card was blank. And I had to sign, him, sign his name on the blank card. We did the trick together. We shuffled the cards and mixed them all up. And then we turned them over and his card was gone. So he thought that was pretty cool, you know. And I said, well, what? I said, um, um, you know what? I said, I, because of these autographs of important people are pretty valuable, I don't like to leave home without them. So I always keep them here and I pull out a wallet and I show there's some cards in there and I've got Lady Gaga and uh, <laughs> Dan, Daniel Radcliffe and LeBron James. And, and <laughs> I said, but here, and there's another wallet inside. I said, here's where I keep my most important signatures, autographs. And I open it up, and there's a card you can see through plastic on one side, but the other side's a zippered compartment. And I said, the most important one I have to keep in this zippered compartment. And I pull out, there's a card in there, and I show it to him. 
and it's his card, and it's got his name. Now he he gets really excited. Right? Wow. He's like, wow, that was really a good cool. trick. <laughs> but, then, but I wasn't done. So then I said, oh, and I pointed to the card that was behind the plastic. I said, I haven't shown you this one. You're probably wondering what that one is. I said, I just got this one a few minutes ago, actually. I was back in the other room, and I saw a woman in there who, of course, I could tell right away she was very important. And she gave me her autograph. And this is hers. And I pulled it out, and I showed it to him. And when I showed it to him, his eyes got as big as saucers, and his jaw dropped to the floor, and he started looking around. The name on the card was Lindsay Butler. His name was Thomas Butler. Lindsay Butler was his mother, and she was a soldier stationed in Afghanistan. And at that moment, she came from around the corner in full fatigues oh, for wow. a surprise homecoming. Ah! <laughs> Talk about a, a feeling of redemption, right? Well done. When they hugged, that's when I knew, hey, magic really is real. It right? is. It sure felt that way. So she had called me a couple of weeks before then and said yeah. she wanted to surprise her kid with the homecoming. She knew I was a magician and could I make her magically appear somehow? Wow. And since I'm not David Copperfield, I did a card trick, right? But <laughs> yeah, but talk about full, full circle. Right. But you know, wow. what I learned from that is, one, we're our own worst critics, and we tend to beat ourselves up. And there are times when mm. we want to give up. When things don't go our way, we mm. screw up or something mm. happens, and we just want to give up, whatever it is, our job, a project we're working on, whatever. Sometimes giving up is the best option. We have to let go of some things in order to move ahead. Yeah. But before you make that decision to give up, ask yourself, what was it that motivated you to get get into that in the <clears> first <throat> place? It was important to you once mm. because you decided to take it on. Mm -hmm. So it was important. And is that reason still valid now? Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, think, well, if it is still valid, if that reason still can drive you, use that as motivation to push push through that barrier so you can, my little tagline, turn that setback into a comeback. I like right? that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, and, you know, the little girl at Fort Knox was probably disappointed for like 30 seconds. Yeah. She uh, forgot only, about it before you did. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. You know that, right. but it, you can't tell that, that you know, because I get it. I get it. You're going to beat yourself yeah. up. That's one of those negative, right. uh, we, we always take, like a bad news, a lot harder. That's the yeah. way we're wired, you know. Exactly. The brain, yeah. the, you know, the brain scans show that negative, yeah, yeah. negative thoughts and ideas light right. it up more than positive ones. It's so. all about trying to keep our uh, uh, ancient brain self alive, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So negativity yeah. gets a, 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 I don't know, a higher what like resolution save in the brain, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, and we remember those negative things and those the embarrassing setbacks, things right. that we do, the setbacks, you know, more than we than we tend to remember the victories and the wins and the totally. ta-da moments in our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I let, have you ever thought of the idea of, I, this just came to mind, so you know, tell me it's a bad idea, but <clears throat> I, I like doing the practice quit. I quit, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to imagine what it would be like quitting. And then Monday, I'll go back to work. <laughs> it's just a, what would it be like if I quit? So, and think so about it. A yeah. A thought, thought experiment, experiment about yeah. like, yeah, like a practice quit. Well, let's really think of it. Like uh, when I was trying to think about whether or not I had a, enough money to do something, right? Like, do I have enough money to do? I've been doing this thing called... Uh, was it financial independence? Retire early. If you got to go, just tell me because we're over. Oh time. no, I'm good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you know, you spent. I spent probably like two years fretting about whether or not I had enough money, and trying to figure out how much we spent on an annual basis, down to yeah. a really good amount, right? Like a known, say, like five ten thousand dollar range annual spend. And then one day I just went, honey, just go figure out how much you spent, how much we spend in a month and then a year. And she came back five minutes later with a sticky with the, with the, the last four, four, four or five years, like all mathed out. And she showed her work. Wow. And, I was, <laughs> and you had that the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just ask, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, right. we got plenty of money. We could totally quit. <laughs> so happy ending to that story. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sometimes, you know, the answer's already there. Just go ask your wife. <laughs> she probably knows. Anyway, Steve, uh, let's talk a little bit about how folks can get in touch with Steve Hafner. And that's H A F. N oh F F N E R and Steve is S T E V E Steve Hafner.com. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter that I have called Cognizance, where I have to talk about performance and decision making, problem solving, how we think, and a couple yeah, other yeah. things. I, I have links to interesting articles and stuff in there. It's a quick read, it's like three minutes. Um, don't Good. try to sell you anything. You can unsubscribe if you don't like it, but right, right. It's a it's a it's a pretty fun thing to have, I think. Uh, I have a have an ebook called Seven Strategies for Making Great Decisions, and they can get that for free from my website as well. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's great, Steve. And if that, anybody's <clears throat> looking for a, a, a keynote or an educational speaker, that's what I do for a living. So, and it's inter- yeah. it's entertaining. Uh, it's right. all, it's comedy. It's magic, and it's learning. Right. 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 I tried, 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 <laughs> tried to tick all the boxes to make it as engaging as possible. And, you know, these are things that you need to learn anyway. So, um, yes, do yourself a favor. Check out Steve's stuff. Steve, this has been a blast. Come yeah, back so anytime. Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. I, wait I wait really six months it. or a year. Come back. We'll talk more about. I, I think I could talk to you for just as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, thank you. Well, the time has just flown by, so right. that shows how, how fun it's been. All right, cool. All right, Steve, thanks. Yeah. All right, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.